Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when other people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, then keep your tongue from speaking evil and keep your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, but his, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. 1 Peter 3, chapter, verse 8 through 12. The old church leader sits back and stretches out his sore muscles, his tired back, dipping the quill into the ink to put his thoughts to paper. A letter, a message for people that he barely even knows yet loves deeply. This next generation of Christians in this crazy enterprise that Jesus calls the way, the called out ones, the Messiah's bride, the body of Christ, the church, scattered throughout Asia Minor, repudiating their former Roman and Greek gods in order to follow the one true God, and Jesus, his beloved son. What to say to such an eager young group of young believers? So many of them simply don't have the, the rich background in Judaism that he has. They're new to all of this. Jesus had that same rich background. All the apostles had that same rich background in religion. This next generation knows nothing of the traditions that have governed God's people for centuries. The old man chuckles. <laughs> Those same traditions that caused the religious people to, to hate Jesus and, and actually crucify him, send him to his death. Those traditions, yeah. The apostle, hang on here for a second. The Apostle Paul kept reminding all the Jewish believers, the very first ones to follow Jesus, he kept reminding them of how important it was to, to share Jesus with people who weren't Jewish, people who weren't like them, people who didn't share their culture, people who didn't speak their language, people who put their faith in Jesus without knowing almost anything about Moses or, or Abraham or Daniel or, or Jonah. Because God wants all people, all races, all cultures, all ethnicities, all skin colors, you name it. God loves all of us. We are all his children and God wants all of us, everyone. And the price that this next generation is going to pay for, for their faith in Jesus in order to follow Jesus faithfully, the price that they're going to pay is so much greater than the price that his own generation paid. Or maybe it's just different. The simple truth is the bad times come upon even the most devout followers of Jesus. Bad times come. Jewish or not Jewish, male or female, mask or no mask, young or old, trouble comes. Jesus himself promised. Peter remembers that. Like it happened yesterday. Jesus looking at his first followers and saying, in this world you will have trouble. John 16, Man, that old church leader Peter smiles. Was that ever true? Trouble from family members who hate this radical faith that they are professing. Trouble from the religious leaders who can't even be bothered to obey their own scriptures. Trouble from the government who wants everyone to look at their rules as being the one true religion that everybody must follow. Trouble on every side. Best to look up then, 
right? If you've got trouble on every side, best to look up. And so more than anything, this old apostle just wants these young believers to see Jesus. Just follow Jesus. You don't need to look at me. You don't need to look at the apostle Paul. You don't need to follow Apollos or Priscilla or Aquila. You don't need to do that. You just need to look at Jesus. And you don't need to believe or practice everything that Peter believes and practices. He's a good Jewish boy who's got dietary restrictions and how far he can walk on the Sabbath day. You don't need that in order to follow Jesus. Just follow Jesus. Your following of Jesus might not look like mine does, and that's okay. We just need to follow Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit whispers... And Peter writes, he reminds these youngsters that they are aliens and strangers just passing through. This world is not our home. We cannot afford to be comfortable. We have to learn how to live as pilgrims, God's chosen people living as foreigners. 1 Peter 1 verse 1. This is a primary spiritual reality. We must be different from our unsaved friends and neighbors. Peter actually knows, as he looks back over the course of his lifetime, he has seen so many that have shipwrecked their faith because they were not willing to be different from their culture, to to be different from their neighbors, to be different from their families. To follow Jesus in this world is to be weird. But secondly, Peter paints a picture with his fine words of a Jesus who is absolutely, totally worth following. You love him, even though you've never seen him. Peter and the first generation, they walked with Jesus. They they slept with him. They heard his teaching. They saw him picking his nose for crying out loud. But this next generation, they never saw Jesus in person. And yet they love him. A Jesus who is perfect and pure. A Jesus who is righteous in all his ways. A Jesus who in great strength chooses the way of sacrifice. Chooses the way of servanthood. A Jesus who picks up a cross that is not rightfully his. That's my cross And that's your cross. A Jesus who does not shrink back from trouble, who does not shy away from sorrow or pain or suffering or even death. A Jesus who is magnificent. A Jesus who is worth following. As he moves into the second page of his letter to these new believers, Peter begins to get specific with these youngsters. This faith that you claim to profess, that that I profess, it needs to have a real and tangible difference in the way that you relate to the authorities in your life. Boy, that's a hard message for a young person, isn't it? If you say you follow Jesus, then listen to him and follow him as you submit to your government. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17. If you say you follow Jesus, then listen to him and follow him as you submit to an abusive master. 1 Peter 2, 18 to 25. If you say you follow Jesus, then listen to him and follow him as you submissively navigate a difficult marriage. 1 Peter 3, verse 1 to 8. Submission. And then the old apostle pauses for a moment because there's a behemoth in the room. I don't know if they knew about elephants. You see, Peter knows one thing to be true. 
That when Jesus was approached while he was here on earth by some of the religious people of his day and they thought they were going to test him and they said, Rabbi, would you summarize for us the entire Hebrew scriptures? Can you just kind of sum it up? Give us Cliff's notes on what the Bible actually says. When Jesus is asked to summarize the entire canon of accepted scripture, Jesus gave two instructions that summarize every single sentence in the Tanakh. Every single part of the Hebrew Bible, Jesus summarized the entire thing with two brief commands. Love God and love each other. And you can't choose. You have to do both. And there's one thing that Peter has seen Over and over and over again in all of his years of church leadership as the gospel has gone forth from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. There's one thing that Peter has seen over and over again when the church, when the group of believers who meet in a local congregation choose to love each other well, then the gospel is proclaimed and unsaved people come to know Jesus. Because the people of God have created in their church a safe nursery for the babies. And Peter has also seen the opposite. When a church, for whatever reason, decides not to love each other, that church dies. There are first century churches planted by Paul, planted by Barnabas, planted by Peter that did not make it out of the first century because they didn't love each other. And sometimes when there's outside pressure, when there's persecution that comes upon a church from the outside, when there's a a new law and the Christians can't agree on how to obey this new law that the government is bringing down upon us, when there's a a new leader and people are going, he's not the same as the old leader, when there's a new disease that sweeps the land and Christians cannot agree on how to react to it, sometimes in those moments of trouble, those are the very moments that we forget To love each other. We forget to love each other. I love reading about the church and their response to Legionnaire's disease. How many of you even heard of that pandemic? It's awful. The church's response to polio. The church's response to leprosy. The church's response to cholera. And I don't think that the church of Jesus is responding well to COVID. We forget to love each other. Peter knows this. I mean, come on. He's the guy that pulled out his sword and cut off another guy's ear trying to defend Jesus, right? He's the one that said, I'm not a pacifist, you Mennonites. I'm, I'm going to just, oh. And Jesus had to stop him. Peter's had to learn this over the course of his lifetime through trial and difficulty. And so Peter urgently and gently and boldly reminds these young believers, these strangers in a strange land, this first generation followers of Jesus who've never seen him, that above everything else, they must love each other deeply. Verse 8, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Peter's reminding this next generation of believers that so much of the way that we communicate with each other is simply just not verbal. It's not in our words. It's not in what you say. It's how you say it. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. Proverbs 4, 23, Matthew 15, 18, Luke 6, 45, Ephesians 4, 29. And I have to confess that there is times when my heart has not been loving. 
All of you should be of one mind. There's, there's a sense of, of unity that should characterize a church. And it's not a unity that's built around common traditions or, or common beliefs or common response to outside pro, uh, tro- troubles. It's, it's not uh, something that is built around one particular charismatic leader. It's not something that is even found surrounding the Bible. That is not our source of unity. All of you should be of one mind. Whose mind is that? It's not Pastor Nick's mind. You, you, don't, want, you don't want to stay in this mind. It's not your mind. It's the mind of Christ. That's the source of our unity. Unity is when a group of people are all looking in the same direction. They're all looking at Jesus. One mind, that's the mind of Jesus. That's, that's who needs to be the Lord of this church. All of you should be of that mind. Sympathize with one another. That's the ability to put yourself in the other person's sandals. To, to, to actually be able to think about how what you've said and what you've done is being interpreted by the other party and, and to change that. If I were that other person, how would my words, how would my words hit them? Empathy is such an important skill to learn. We try and teach it to our children. Think about how the other person feels. And yet, it's something that even when we're old, we still have to work at. The other person's thoughts and feelings matter every bit as much as yours do. Be tenderhearted. <laughs> oh, be tenderhearted. You ever eaten a steak that's not tender? You ever had a steak that's just a, a little chewy, right? You know how you tenderize a steak, right? You take out one of those crazy mallets, a hammer, and you beat the tar out of it. That's how you tenderize a piece of meat. I don't know what that means as far as being tender hearted. I know that my own heart has had a few poundings in its day. And through it, I'm learning to love. Peter chuckles at the thought of this. Can we just agree that we are not as tender hearted towards each other as we should be? Can we just agree on that? We have some more work to do in this area. Keeping a humble attitude. Humility. That's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Jesus is the master and commander of the universe. He's greater than everyone else like Darren started us off with, right? If, if anyone could say, hey, I'm great, follow me, it was Jesus. And instead, what does he say? He says, I'm gentle and I'm humble. Matthew eleven twenty nine. He calls the cynic and the proud, come to me now. Every one of you strangers in a strange land need to figure out humility. Every one of you pilgrims scattered throughout Asia Minor need to learn humility at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. The greatest one ever who took on the form of a servant, humility. There's a gap. The Holy Spirit prompts Peter in good Jewish fashion to put the most important quality in the middle of his list. It's not how you and I think. It's how Jewish people in the first century think. Love each other as brothers and sisters. <laughs> how many of you have a brother or sister? Like, like Peter starts to grin as the Holy Spirit prompts him at this point. Love each other as brothers and sisters because Peter remembers growing up with brothers. My goodness, Andrew, that kid was a royal pain in the neck most of the time and sometimes he was an even lower pain. <laughs> Holy Spirit, you have such a sense of humor. I had to learn how to love my brother. And I had to learn how to love my sister. And sometimes we exasperated our parents to no end, right? Does this sound familiar? Can't you kids 
just get along. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> like that's all you want as a mom, right? You just want your kids to get along. And Peter thinks to himself, oh, church. Can't the followers of Jesus just get along? Love each other as brothers and sisters. These five qualities are all nonverbal. They're things that take place on the inside in our hearts, and they're so important in our walk. They were important for those first believers in that first century, and they remain important through the church at all times. If you want to love like Jesus did, you have to guard your heart. You have to watch your attitude. You have to make sure that you are staying tender on the inside. But that's not all that the Holy Spirit has to say in this passage. That's not all that the old apostle has to write. Peter thinks about his own life. And he thinks about all the things he's said over the years that he regrets. If I could just just take back those words. I didn't intend them to hurt that person. And now that person is hurt. How many times has Peter had to eat humble pie, you think? How many times do you think he's had to go to someone and ask for forgiveness for something that he said? His feelings were genuine and real. Nobody's denying that, but his choice of words was simply too hurtful. And so he reminds these youngsters, these pilgrims, that words matter. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God's called you to do. And he'll grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and then work to maintain it. You know, the first way that we learn to love others is simply through silence. We just, we just keep our mouths shut. We, we just don't post that hurtful reply on Facebook. We just don't write that letter. Don't repay evil for evil. I remember as a bus driver, I was coming home and driving on the highway, 90, it was posted speed limit, and this guy coming out from Mormon just pulled right out in front of me. And he has his own turning lane, but he pulled out right in front of me, and he's going like 20. And I, I literally reefed on the brakes, and I had to turn. I turned into the accelerating lane, the lane that he was supposed to be in. And then, for some reason, he figured that this was something that I had done wrong, even though he's pulling out into, the, into a highway speed zone in front of a school bus, and so he's going 70 for about the next mile and a half. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm behind him going, the speed limit's 90. And then he phones my boss and talks about that bus driver in bus 294. And, and then he posts this nasty rant on Facebook. Someone from my church saw that and they let me know that, that this guy had written this nasty rant calling me every name under the book. And a few that weren't in the book. And I sat down and I... I checked with my boss, and we have GPS in our buses. He, he knows. He, he can check. He can see what happened. And, and so I, I sat down, and I wrote this long Facebook response to this guy, and it felt really good. And then when I was done, I deleted it. I didn't post it. Because sometimes all that you can muster when somebody has hurt you is to just stay quiet. But Peter doesn't stop there. He says we need to pay them back with a blessing. Peter imagines a church where people actually do this, and I'll be honest with you, I don't have that great of an imagination. I can't even imagine it. It is such a rare thing. And as I think about the people who've hurt me, the idea of paying them back with a blessing, I still need so much of Jesus in my own heart 
in my own words, in my own actions, I still need so much of him because there's, there's a few relationships. The last month I've been dreaming about a gentleman from my former congregation and asking God, what does it look like if I were to give that man a blessing? Peter's relentless about this. These scattered pilgrims, these isolated aliens, these separated strangers, they're not getting off the hook. The Holy Spirit is on a roll and Peter's laying down the law of Jesus. Do good, he says. Turn away from evil and do good. Do good. I can't remember the name of the book. I was quite young when I read it, maybe early teens pretty sure it was written by a missionary and I'm pretty sure that his name was E. Stanley Jones. And he started one of the chapters in his book about how he was a missionary and how he planted this church in, in India and he was raising up this generation of, of leaders in, in India. And then, and then someone back home in the United States did something just terrible. They said terrible things about him. They, they kind of went on a letter-writing campaign. He lost financial supporters because of that. And, and so he sits down and he decides he's going to write a response to this guy. So he sits down and he writes a letter in reply in self-defense and he expertly dismantles this person's argument and brilliantly uses his words like a paper sword to eviscerate his opponent and then he sits back all satisfied and before he mails the letter back to the United States he makes the mistake of showing it to a few of the leaders in his ashram and one of them takes a black marker And in big, bold letters, writes across his brilliantly crafted rebuttal the following three words. Not sufficiently redemptive. Those three words have been burned into my spirit for the last four decades. Not sufficiently redemptive redemptive. In the years since then, I have written and then torn up many replies because the Holy Spirit keeps bringing back to me those three words, not sufficiently redemptive. So I figured I would share the guilt with you not sufficiently redemptive. Pursue peace. What does peace look like? How do we pursue it? And why do we need to pursue it? Does that mean that it runs away from us? Seek to maintain it. Pastor Doug Humphreys writes this. He says, someone's hurt you. Someone's ridiculed you, talked about you behind your back. Are you actively pursuing peace? with them because if you're not you're sinning against them you're sinning against God and you're stunting your own spiritual growth Matthew 5 verse 9 Jesus came to bring peace among men and between God and man and so when we act as peacemakers we're his sons and his daughters we imitate him when we pursue peace Peter takes a moment to to read what he's written, feeling freshly guilty about all the ways that he himself is still working on all these qualities, even all these years later. And he wants to encourage these young believers. He wants to stand in their corner and cheer for them because what they've got is so hard. He wants to see them making good decisions in their faith walk, putting feet to their faith, obeying Jesus, especially when it's hard. And so he closes this section of scripture, this letter of love to his brothers and sisters with a picture, a metaphor, he paints an image for them of the God that they follow. So just close your eyes for a moment and put yourself back in the first century church when they first heard this letter, when Holy Spirit fire was burning these truths on their hearts. Just close your eyes for a moment 
and listen. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. There's a father up above. He's listening in love. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Now, I don't know what songs those first believers sang. I don't know if they took some of those old familiar Jewish songs and put them to new melodies and added new instruments or messed them up in some way that made Peter and his generation think this next generation is just not going to last. Like, how dare they take that old Indian spiritual, I have decided to follow Jesus and add new words to it. Crying out loud, what are you guys thinking? I just, I know that in every generation since Jesus Music has been so divisive. In some churches, we went to our former church in 2001 and we were right in the middle of what they call the worship wars. And I don't really get that. Sometimes all of us forget God's listening. It's really not important what you want It's really not important what I want. It's just competing agendas. What matters is what God wants. Dave stood up here this morning and he talked to us about how we've been given a gospel to share with people who don't yet know Jesus. It's just, it's so neat to think of some of the ministries where we're doing that. God is listening to us. What does he think? His eyes. Not my eyes. Not your eyes. None of us can see everything that happens in every situation. None of us know about the secret meetings that happen without us. The words that are said when we're not there. None of us know about that. And not a single one of us can judge the heart of another person. Only God can do that. Only his eyes see perfectly. Only his eyes watch over those who do right. But you have a father up above who is listening, who's watching in love. All the times that you mess up, all the times that you say things that you don't, that you wish you could take back, all the times that you've hurt someone, you've got a father who who sees all that and yet loves you anyways. And so Peter writes, if you find yourself in a situation where everyone is doubting you, when, when people think that they can judge your motives better than you can judge your own motives, and by the way, you're both wrong because you can't even judge your own motives accurately, just remember this, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. Do what's right. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. But it's more than that. You see, we live in the light of his love. And he expects us to take that exact same love that we've been given and share it with people who don't deserve it any more than we did. It is only grace when the other person doesn't deserve it. God's eyes watch over those who choose grace. God's eyes watch over those who do right. And his ears Talks about his ears. <laughs> all of us are going to need like plastic surgery on our ears once all this mask wearing is done, right? Just pulling our ears forward. God's ears are already forward. Whenever you pray, his ears are attentive to your prayers. When you are being misunderstood, when people are saying or doing mean things to you, when trouble comes and it will come, his ears are open to your prayers. 
I don't spend enough time praying, do you? No, probably not. Don't waste a whole ton of time trying to talk to people who aren't listening anyways. Like as far as possible with you, live at peace with all men, but make sure that you're praying. Make sure that you're talking to God. Make sure that God is listening to your prayers. Let me just take a moment. Darren's already done it, but let me take a moment and plug our prayer time. Monday evenings, 7.15 to 9 o'clock or whenever. We got some youngsters that are leading us in this, like just, just youngsters, right? Young enough to be my daughters. It's, it's, it's so good to see the next generation following Jesus. The next generation passionate about their God, seeking God in prayer. So come on out and be a part of it. 15 minutes if you have 15 minutes. Half an hour if you got that. Stay all night. Doesn't matter. Pray out loud or don't say a word. Doesn't really matter. It's pretty informal. We're just, we're just creating a time and a space that God's people can seek God's face. His ears are open to our prayers, so let's, let's be people of prayer. His eyes, his ears, and then his face. This is a zinger. The Lord turns his face against those who do evil. <laughs> That's a sober warning for all of us. God is reminding his people that his expectations of us are high. This letter that Peter is writing, he's writing it to Christians. He's writing it to people who followed Christ. He's writing it to people who know Jesus, who have believed that their sins have been forgiven through the death and resurrection of God's only son. He's writing this to people who are following Jesus, to people who have made that decision, I have decided to follow him, who've given up so much in their life, who've endured so much, who've faced so much, and then he warns them. He warns them careful because the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Leviticus 26, 17, Psalm 34, 16, Jeremiah 21, 10, Ezekiel 14, 8. His children whom he loves, occasionally he turns his face away from us when we're doing evil. Our beloved brothers in Christ, our sweet sisters in Jesus, when we choose to do evil, God turns his face away. That scares me. That petrifies me. But as scary and as sobering as I think that that warning is, and it is, I think the flip side of it is full of beauty and full of truth. Because if he turns his face against us when we choose to do evil, then he also turns his face toward us when we repent, when we ask forgiveness, when we commit ourselves to doing good. When we follow Jesus, God turns his face towards us. When we choose in unity to focus on what unites us, Jesus, our Savior, God turns his face towards us. When we practice empathy, when we are able to put ourselves in the other person's shoes, God turns his face towards us. When we choose to put other people ahead of ourselves, when we adopt the humility of Christ, God turns his face towards us. When we love others the way that Jesus loves them, sacrificing our own lives for them, God turns his face towards us. When we look at our brother and sister in Christ and we learn to see them through the eyes of Jesus, God turns his face towards us. When we remain silent, even when people are attacking us and maligning us, God turns his face towards us. When we choose to bless those who have hurt us, God turns his face towards us. When we choose to do good to the very people who are hurting us, God turns his face towards us. When we choose the difficult way of peace God turns his face towards us when we choose to let Jesus live his life through us God turns his face towards us the old apostle puts his quill down his imagination goes 
towards these new believers in the next generation, some of whom he's never even met, so far away, so frail and fragile, just beginners in their walk of faith. And then his memory goes back in time to another place when he himself was just a newbie in faith, when he himself was frail and fragile, just a beginner in his walk of faith. And he knows that everything good that has happened in his life has been because of his faith in Jesus. All my life, you have been faithful. When he has allowed Jesus to be the Lord of his heart in his words and his actions. And he also knows those times when he stumbled, when he's fallen, when he sinned, when his own words and his own actions have been not sufficiently redemptive. And so the apostle whispers a brief prayer for his readers for everyone who will read this letter, for the people in Asia Minor who read this letter first 2,000 years ago, he whispers a prayer for you and I. Gathered this morning, we're scattered, reading this letter in a faraway country in a different language and a different culture in Saskatchewan, Canada. I bet you Peter can't even spell that. May 9th, 2021. He's prayed for us. Thanks for that thought, Olivia. 1 Peter 3, verse 8 through 12. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. I can't even read that without laughing. <laughs> be tenderhearted. Keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God's called you to do. And he'll grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. For the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. And his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. i
Let's close the service with a few words I read this week. It's kind of the dream. Imagine this. I hope this encourages you. Imagine walking into a room where there wasn't a single person thinking of himself or herself, including you. In humility, they all considered others more important than themselves. It's not a shallow, forced selflessness. It's really who they are. They are also overwhelmed by the love of God that they have no want. They don't just say encouraging things to you, but you can tell that deep inside they really feel it. Like they genuinely love you and have been praying for you throughout the week. Everyone works his or her way throughout the room, blessing everyone he or she sees. God has given them specific words of encouragement, some of them exhortations for you. Others are reading scriptures to you, some praying for you. Some might have physical gifts that the Holy Spirit told them to give to you as they were in prayer for you that week. You see, this is more than a family. Everyone treats the other like they're members of the same body. We grieve together. We celebrate together. There isn't a person in the room who wouldn't give his or her life for you. There isn't a family who wouldn't give up their home to you if you were in need. Rich or poor, no one viewed their possessions as belonging to themselves. Everyone was a giver. There's no gossip. There's no ungodly judging. There's no fighting. They live like one body. God is clearly in their midst and miracles are starting to take place. The deep love results in God releasing power from heaven. Your friends are cured of sicknesses and ailments. Unbelievers encounter Christ for the first time. Words of knowledge and prophecy are being spoken. The greatest miracle is the joy and peace that everyone feels in the presence of God. You bask in the joy of knowing this is not just a gathering. This is life. This is your tribe, your family. This is your church. Imagine knowing there were groups like this all around the world. You have brothers, sisters, body members in every country. You can go to any of these groups and experience the same oneness, the mutual sacrifice. You have family all over the earth. The happiest people on the planet, totally secure in their oneness with God, loving you as you love them. All your fears turn to complete security. You always knew that God promised to provide for you, but now you see his body promising you the same thing. I used to wonder if this could ever happen on this earth, but now I've seen glimpses of it. Before you get disappointed that your church doesn't live this way, ask yourself if you do. Starts with us. Holy Spirit, this week would you speak words to me? Words, Lord, that would lead me to forgiveness. Lord, uh, words that would lead me to understand the sinfulness inside of myself and just to bear that openly before you. To reach out and love, Lord, an extension of your love to other people that need to feel that love. Forgiveness to people who've hurt me. Lord, this extension of grace to people who I need to show grace to. Selflessness, generosity, Lord, if I desire this church, it has to be real in me. It has to start inside of me. I can't can't stand here and look at someone else and say, man, if they would just, if they would just listen, if they would just hear the words he's saying, if they would just read those words in the Bible, if, if they, it has to start right inside of me. So Holy Spirit, would you move that inside of me starting now? And unite this family in selflessness, Lord, in compassion for one another. If we would open up our hands that we grasp onto so tightly the things that are ours and take the posture of a humble servant, would you transform us into the likeness of your son? 
Lord Jesus, have all the glory in this place. Have all the honor. We turn our eyes upon you, Lord, and we just gaze on your sacrifice. Would we become that sacrifice? Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for hope and discouragement. Thank you, Lord, for the dream that is possible by your Holy Spirit. Thank you that the best days of this church are coming, that forgiveness is coming, that love for one another is coming. And it's going to be a movement, a movement of God against the forces of darkness that try to crush us. Father, be our great encouragement. Help us to keep our eyes on you and on the light, on hope. Draw us deep into prayer, into submission. We have no hope without you. Lord, I'm so encouraged. Brighter days are coming. We love you. Amen. Have a great week, everyone.